Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Broadcast Network, After Buzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after show entertainment. After Buzz TV, the destination for TV superfans. Producing after shows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! What's up? Welcome! Welcome to the After Buzz TV After Show for True Detective Season 2, Episode 7, Black Maps and Motel Rooms. I am Ben Bateman, joined today... By my lovely co-host, Julia Carley. Oh, Ben, you're lovely. You're lovely. You're the loveliest. Hi, guys. Nice to see you again. Yes, we are absent the Joes, or at least one of the Joes. We have one Joe, I think, on the line, or about to be on the line, um, Mr. Joe Braswell. So we'll, we'll welcome him in as soon as he uh, says hello. But this was a crazy episode. If you guys have been lost this season uh, in terms of just, just the amount of things and plot points that are going on that we don't know, um, I've just gotten the thumbs up. Joe is on the line. Hello, Joe. How are you? Can you hear me, Ben? I, I got you, man. How you doing? We're great. We're just talking about episode seven, too much exposition. Uh, no, it's not called that. It's called something else. But we were just starting to talk about what uh, what was going on with the show and, and how many things were revealed in these long-winded exchanges of dialogue. What did you think about the episode? Uh, I think I like the episode in general. Uh, I probably like the little more of it like you did. I feel like they've kind of gone down a path here where they have to get out all this exposition and story to wrap this thing up in, in the next episode or two. Um, it started out as sort of a character, you know, character study. You get really deep into these four characters. And now it's like, you've got all of this crime, story, and three jurisdictions, and, you know, masks, and orgy houses, and, and documents. you got to wrap it up. So that's what you get. Absolutely. I I don't think that I didn't enjoy the episode. Like, in a lot of ways, it felt like it was actually a positive payoff because now it started to knit together a lot of the things that were supposed to be sort of generalized throughout the season. But it definitely felt like six episodes got us to, like, maybe 55% of the show, and then we just got, like, a 30% of the show episode in terms of information. So there was just so much packed in. I, I watched it twice, and the second time through... I, I mean, some of those, the dialogue exchanges where it's explaining what's happening and, and they're throwing the names of all these tertiary characters at us, that, that was hugely illuminating, but it's also like, if you're somebody who just likes television and you put this on, I have a hard time believing you followed everything exactly. I watched it twice and I really had to take notes to, to keep it all straight. What did you think, Julia? Um, 
Well, exposition for days is what I have written on every single page of my copious notes that don't really tell me anything. <laughs> All my notes have written down is just verbatim what I saw on the screen because I'm like what the heck is happening my head is so filled with all this information I'm trying to track back to all these other characters that we've seen over time and I mean yes there was a payoff the dots were connected but sweet lord these dots paint this this very convoluted and very coincidental story I feel like Los Angeles is a ginormous place the the idea that it all just comes together in this one little close knit family of of debauchery and and uh, it's just a little bit too much for me to to believe yeah so specifically um we we will go let's go kind of piece by piece through this episode here and see yeah we've got a little less than an hour and and we're going to try to stick a hundred percent to just just what we saw on screen this one particular episode uh just to see if we can unpack some of this so i'm going to start with frank with frank Semyon, who up to this point in the season we've really seen frank be a, a man searching for his place in his world. He's losing a grip on it. He's trying to reestablish himself in some way. And it really felt like this was the first episode to me where he was doing more than talking about. Um, and maybe that's because he realized how out of place he really was, as he describes it, as secret war going on the last six months. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess we'll start with, with Blake, his interaction with, with his uh, henchman, who he smashes a glass over his face. You know what, what Frank kind of reminded me of this week? It's sort of like last week when, when Velcoro had all the coke and all the land and came to the realization that he was going to let his son go and let that battle go. It was sort of Frank, in my opinion, letting go of this idea of what he could be and what he was striving for and just taking control of his situation and in the best way he knew how. Just rocking out with his cock out. Rock out with his cock out. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah, but Braz, what did you what did you think about the the craziness of like that that pretty gritty scene with with Blake? Braz? Did we lose you? We probably lost him. No, I'm here, I'm here, oh. I'm here, I'm here. Sorry. Hi. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What did you think about okay. that scene? This first scene with Blake, where Frank smashes a glass over his face and then gives him a gut shot after. It was what? what how did you feel about that? I mean, we saw we saw seasons of this Frank early on with the with the fight, now with the whole the fire and everything else. I think we knew that Frank had this in him, and certainly the whole thing for the telegraph. It was episode three. We knew Blake was kind of dirty. We knew this was coming to this. Uh, I, you know, I thought I didn't know that he was going to kill him. Did not know that like that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was necessary, uh, but I didn't really, I don't think buy it. I just thought, I don't know. I don't know what I wanted. There's no, no one knows the Frank going gangster and like really like, you know, burning down the house literally. Uh, I thought it was kind of a cool idea. Again, I used to think it's like a stuff with execution of it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't really like, I, I, I didn't have a real strong feeling about it. Uh, I don't say I didn't believe it. I just sort of felt like, okay, that's that. I, I don't know. I'm on the sense of this one. I kind of wish that this had started happening in episode five, if we had started to see musings of this in episode five or six, because to see it all happen now, it literally... God, I have so many thoughts. I mean, I know I've been a, a harsh critic of Vince Vaughn this whole season, and and to any viewer who's watched this and, and been watching what we're doing, and it, it's like, you gotta, you know, loosen up on him. I mean, for me... The realization I think that I've had is week after week is I don't 
I think Vince Vaughn's a great actor, and and I think it's really unfortunate that this is the situation that he's put into, where he's on this huge national scale with this massive expectation for how he's going to execute dramatically, and he's been given this crazy weird script and all this screen time to talk about having a baby with his girlfriend. When really, I think that if we had gotten like faces, on the ceiling, you know, weird on the ceiling. Say that again. Oh, talking about scenes of the feeling as well. Yeah, yeah. He just talks, talks, talks so much. Like as we said early, it was like seeing the same scene over and over again. This really didn't feel like we were watching the same scenes anymore. This felt like a much more satisfying character to me. He's actually taking action. He's being a gangster. So I, I preferred that, and I feel like it's unfortunate for Vince Vaughn that he had to that he was given a script, and this like this is his proving ground essentially because I think that he's capable as an actor. It wasn't bad or something this season. I just he's finally been satisfying, but this is episode seven. Yeah, I agree that this was a satisfying scene because he's been so kept in the dark this entire this entire season. Um, so to see him execute this vengeance against someone who was, we th- he thought was very close to him, we know we've seen how how close he he reveres his his staff and the people that work for him. So in that scene when he was talking to Velcora before, when he talks about, you know, you put your time, your emotional investment in these people, you know, that was it was a bummer for him. Um, and I, not, and Braz, I can't believe that you didn't think that he was going to kill him for one second. Like, how <laughs> well, did you not see I mean, that look, coming? I, I, well, I, I, look, I, I think my problem with this in general is it kind of reminds me of some other great, like, we knew that this was coming. We knew that this day was coming where Frank would go Frank. You see the old Frank come out. Um, and it's kind of going to be unforgiving, or I, I use history of violence, another one, where you know this person is this uh, uh, from another life, the whole movie, and at the end you get to see them actually go gangster. It's really satisfying. Well, we've watched Frank sleepwalk through this whole series, and then we finally get to go, see him go gangster. I just wasn't, I wasn't satisfied. I don't know what I expected. I'm totally satisfied. And I, I don't know, Jules, maybe I wasn't dialing it up to take church hand enough to know whether he's going to kill him or not. I just, I, I don't know. I think, I, mean, I, him, I think we've seen him be gangster already. Yeah, um, he's done a little bit of it. Yeah, he's been gangster. He pulled out a guy's teeth, for Christ's sake. Well, he, he, had, he had the one scene, the fight scene. That was about it. I mean, where, where he, you know, went Frank. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I know what I expected, but once we got here, I felt like this wasn't it. But again, again, this was another scene, like every single scene, it seems like in this episode, that was just exposition for days. It was like, all right, I got you, Blake, you're caught. So tell me everything. Word vomit. Every little thing you could possibly know. And I was like, is it that easy? Blake's like, yeah, here's what's been going on for the last six episodes. And we've been wondering. To get here? Let me hear. You've been wondering what's happening. Here's. I'm just going to rant for about two minutes. Would you like me to draw a diagram? Yeah. And that was like so many of the scenes in this episode were like that. So so let's continue with Frank and, and uh, and his role in this episode. So he has that scene. Once he finds all that out, then comes the moment where he's burning down houses and he's having like a decisive negotiation with Osip. Um, one thing in that scene, by the way, that I did think is funny, as a guy that obviously likes likes crime fiction and, and gangster stuff, this thing likes to happen in these crime movies where like a crime boss, he's got the glass and he's got the bottle and it's like guy walks in, pours him a drink, pours himself a drink, and they both kind of do a shot 
And it's like, they do it two or three times during the scene, and this seems to happen in every single one of these, like, crime lord talking to his associates or business partners. How are these people not just, like, falling over wasted at all times? Because they're professionals. Let's just, let's just sit here and talk about True Detective, and during the course of it, we're just going to do four shots of whiskey. Should we do that and next then, episode? <laughs> and at the end of it, we'll I'll just get it. up, and I'll just walk out of here and just go be able to be totally cohesive and, like, sharp. And I mean, it's just bizarre. Well, you know what it is, Ben. What? It's gangster. Yeah, that's true. I can do it. Let's do it. Let's yeah. be gangster. Let's be gangster for the finale. Okay, it's, Russ? it's hard to know guy who just got back from Las Vegas, so I, I, I can attest that it's actually pop. <laughs> I'm sure you were sharp as a tack the whole time. <laughs> I mean, that's why you didn't see Blake's death coming. Yeah, but so anyway, this, getting back to the plot point of how this all worked. So Frank walks in to the, to the bar, and he sees Chasani. Uh, he has a great line about the, to the, the woman. Best. What's he say? Hey, do me a favor and hum my balls hum my a little. Balls a little. After he describes his family as the Kennedys. As the Kennedys, uh, that was pretty sweet. He's. It was just like a funny. Just and like she seemed down. Yeah, she was in. She, she was, was into in, it. and then Frank had to go and show up and ruin everything. Yeah. So Osip walks in, and Frank has this very like fake tone that he takes with him when he's and he says you're taking this better than expected, and you know Frank's full of it. You know he's planning something. We know. Did you kind of feel like the way he was acting that Osip wouldn't just like know he was up to something? You'd think. That's how I felt when I was watching. I was thinking to myself, if I'm Osip and I walk in, I'm expecting a lot more pushback. And the way Frank's acting, he's yeah, got to be up to something. Absolutely. But he, it was, it was I, I thought the same exact thing. Like, oh, okay, you're just going to be a manager of the club now. Oh, no, you don't have any, you don't own this place anymore. Oh, no, you're just on salary now. Right. Like, cool, man. Sure. That sounds great. You've got to think something is up. Yeah. And also, I, I, get, I get the impression that Osip's like this, this giant sort of crime lord experience boss, and Frank is not. Uh, it, it tried to, to think that Frank, we're supposed to that Frank is, is, is going to get the better of this guy who uh, who seems to be a little more powerful than him. I don't know. I, I agree. I feel like that Osip would be on to Frank, but maybe not. Now, maybe, during, not. maybe he was just so excited, too. During Frank's whole run where they're showing the, like, Shawshank Redemption-esque scenes of, like, buying the ticket and giving the money and planning his escape and, you know, that whole, that whole thing, um, did we? Did any of us wonder, I know a couple hundred, a few hundred thousand is what he says to Jordan in the previous episode, right? Or was it this episode? He said two, maybe three hundred thousand. It seems like he's he's walking around throwing around cash that was a lot more than that. Where did he stealing it from the clubs? Maybe I was wondering where it all came from. Yeah, maybe maybe he was was taking money from the basements and and in the safes. So I'm assuming that's what it was. He just stole all that money from the clubs. I just assumed that was his because he owned the club previous. Hmm. Maybe not though. And then he walked into his travel agent in 2015, as we all do, as we all book our tickets to travel agents. It's so weird, right? I, I was thinking that. I was like, who? I, I don't even know a travel agent anymore no. at, at all. And, like, I, I love that she says, he says, these tickets are adjustable, alterable. And she says, for what you're paying, they let you do what you want. It's like, what scene is that? Where is that even? Like, the whole thing was just so bizarre. Yeah, it was very strange. So you only find that yeah. in Vinci, I guess. I think some of the Grantland guys mentioned that too, where it's like, you know, what ticket is this? This is an open ended ticket that you can gift to your friends and that you can do anything with. But, yeah, you know, I, I digress. Too yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, so Frank does that. He makes his exit strategy. He, he burns the building down. Uh, we, we assume that this meeting of OSIP turning 12 million over that, that, uh, Blake mentions before he eats mm-hmm. it, before he watches his lights go out, as he says. God, Frank has so many weird lines in this episode, by the way. There, there's, I know I'm jumping around now, but when he's in the diamond broker to launder the money, oh. he has the one line that he says to him, the guy's like, we don't do that. 
it's you're trying to turn money over that you shouldn't and he says please articulate the percentage you would require to transact with me for crying what out the loud. hell Hello? what the hell is he talking about who for says that <sighs> Braz, no you didn't pay attention to that one no no i did it's very like uh almost yoda-esque i thought you were saying you know the, 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 the words are backwards it's like who talks like that the percentage you would require to transact with me. I've never used the phrase, will you transact with me? Like, that's so bizarre. That's Pizzolatto, I guess. Just, I mean, Frank. You know, well, we've been talking about this all again, season, again, and we got a lot of pushback. Again, I'm, coming back, I'm coming back from Vegas, so that, that phrase may have been used. <laughs> we got a lot of pushback from people when we talked about this before, saying that, like, yes, he's really trying to climb the social ladder here, and, you know, he probably does sit there with a thesaurus, and yeah. you think at this point he's so desperate he has thrown out the thesaurus. You yeah. think he's just focusing on getting done what needs to be done. Yeah, it was all it was all very, very maybe, weird. Maybe Transact stuck with him. Yeah, maybe. So he, he had the one scene with Valcora, which was not particularly relevant, I don't think. Yeah. And that, pre- I mean, that pretty much wraps up his character for the episode, unless we're forgetting something. Which I'm sure we are, but that's alright. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, he says, you know, he tells her to pack a bag, she's going with nails, and then he's going to meet up with them. So I guess we have to assume this $12 million that's going to get turned over at some meeting the next day. Blake told him, I'm assuming that we're expecting to see that in, tomorrow, in, in next week's episode. I would imagine. That scene or something, unless I'm I misread that. So let's kind of move into the next section here. Uh, and guys, if you're watching this and there's anything that we miss or we breeze over something, this episode was so jam-packed. I have to apologize. We're going to do our best to cover everything. Please tweet in or or comment on YouTube and we'll, we'll interact with you on this one because this was a very interesting episode, obviously, in terms of plot points. Um, so let's get into Woodrow. Oh, R.I.P. Woodrow. Yeah, R.I.P. Woodrow. Now, you know, a lot of the online stuff <laughs> was... It was a, one of those riot <laughs> shots again. Yeah, I don't know. You, you saw it go through it. No. Um, a lot of the online criticism of this episode referred to Taylor Kitsch this season as super one-note and no emotional range and no range as an actor and said it was unceremonious to see him go out, but it was kind of like a reflection of his character and his performance this whole season. I really didn't feel that. I didn't think he did a bad job. I really enjoyed him when he was on screen. And in a few of the scenes where he did actually emote, I was impressed. He didn't have a lot of them that he had to, but in the few of them that he did, I thought it was great. I don't know. What did you guys think? I thought he was dull this whole season. Braz? I thought he was not great at all. Yeah, and I think that it was an unceremonious, unceremonious, in, an unceremonious, I can't say word. It was a dull performance, and it was over, it was over. I was out the whole, the whole time. So yeah, so he gets these he gets these pictures sent to him uh-huh. of his of his wild night with his former lover his and par- tryst. Yeah, yeah, that guy's name was uh, mm. I can't think of the character's name, I'll but tell you in a you second. so so yeah he uh, he gets he gets drawn in by an unknown caller. He meets up with him, meets up in these underground tunnels <laughs> that are, and he's he's being confronted by Holloway. Who was, I think that's Holloway. That was Holloway, yes. The chief of police, Holloway. In, in Vinci, or is he a chief of police in Ventura County? What? Not Ventura County. L.A. Because LA. he worked with Velcoro. Right. He's the guy at the beginning of the season that we see in full cop him. uniform. And so, you know, he's basically like, this is another scene that was so full of exposition. He says, I, I believe, unless, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I gathered was, he's saying... Okay, we went over Teague Dixon, the the heavyset cop who took a headshot in episode four. We went over his apartment, and we luckily 
came across these pictures of you and your former Black Mountain partner, this guy here, uh, having a, a moment, a romantic moment. So we're going to use this against you. But we were actually looking for something else. And it turns out, now that we're working for Catalyst, which is another nefarious company that you are investigating, we are no longer Black Mountain. We've rebranded as Ares Security. Now that we work for this company, it's important that you know, we know you stole documents from a secret gathering in Monterey. Do you have those documents? All of these unconnected things that are now suddenly connected in this one moment. And, And Holloway, a character who... Until we watched it a second time, I forgot was even in the season at all. He I, he looked because he wasn't in uniform this time. Yeah. He had been prior. This is what we're supposed to take at face value. And then Woodrow picks off five other like special ops military mercenaries before getting shot in the back by a conveniently placed Burris waiting behind the right door uh, outside of the innumerable number of tunnels that exist under Los Angeles. That is what we're supposed to believe. Correct, Braz? Did, did I miss anything there? That's exactly what happened, and I, you know, I like you know, and that's huge problems with all of that. I get, I'm much more interested in this sort of the character study that it started out, but and getting to this cool crime story, but having to tie all this together, given with all these like sort of all this story between, yeah, the whole Black Mountain thing, and then tying up Blake, and then just you know, the diamonds are out there, the blue diamonds, and then the fair, the railway. It's like I don't know. Uh, it's a lot, but but they're seeing the tying up all of these. It seems to be tying this all together, but it feels very forced. I mean, that scene was just like again so much thrown at you. Did you have a problem that Burris was waiting outside the correct door? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> that was Burris. Yeah, that, like in that, and that it's a you know Woodrow is a super badass uh, you know Black Mountain spec ops guy who was great in the shootout took out all these other special ops guys, but then he gets taken out by this guy, Death Jockey. Well, Burris, I think we're supposed to assume there was speculation that Burris was the man in the bird, bird mask. Man. Yeah. That's, that was like one of the major theories. But again, if he was the man in the bird mask, you would assume he was wearing the bird mask again now, I guess. Mm, no, because that bird mask existed in Casper's little sexual lair. Because yeah. remember, there was the missing mask right. from the wall. So I think he just put it on to mask himself because he knew he wasn't going to kill Velcoro. Right. Do we think that? Do we think that we're ever going to find out what actually happened in Black Mountain now? Is or no. you, like or where all his burns come from? No. That's all just going to be just never explained. Yeah. That's unfortunate. That, that, that's again. That's what's so disappointing because uh, this is what I was wondering early on. If like, we got all this stuff to say, kids, an interesting guy, PTSD, Black Mountain, what happened? Uh, repressed homosexual, and then it's like all these interesting places to go, and then and then it's over, and we never went anywhere town Other than you know, I, I just that, that's that's I mean, we kind of we got opportunity to go somewhere with Colin Farrell's character, you know, to we're still going places with uh, with uh, Rich McCown's character. They're you know they're they're coming together, but I felt like since Vaughn has a full a lot of screen time to talk about, showing up a lot of scenery in the series, we kind of getting get his arc, but the fact that Woodrow. It's come and gone in these four episodes and five, sorry, seven episodes, and that's all we got. I mean, R.I.P. Woodrow, but it's almost like, what are we missing? 
Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I feel I, I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like they set up his character to be sort of this blank slate that we would fill in as we went along, and I was looking forward to that. Episode after episode and episode after episode, I was let down, and I didn't get anything new from him, and I was very one-note. So yes, his death was completely unceremonious to me, and I was wondering what he actually died for. Like, was he dying for the social injustice? or what? I mean, his, his decision-making was so ridiculous. I mean, he was there in this awful situation just to cover up his sexuality, which everyone pretty much knew anyway. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, his character in this season in a lot of ways actually remind me of this is going to go way just left field. There was a movie from years back with Sean Penn called The Assassination of Richard Nixon. Did you guys ever see that movie? So, yes, you saw it, right? Yes, so that's like yes, this... I loved it. Yeah, it's super slow. It's super dark. It's got like... Sean Penn is this like... It's a real. It's a true story of a man that tried to kill Richard Nixon. I think I can't quite remember the movie very well, but I just remember finishing it and thinking, "True story." Yeah, the, true this story, is yes. this is interesting. The performances are sound. These supporting characters around you, and I know, guys, if you haven't seen this, this is completely. But it's a metaphor for what's happening. These supporting characters and details of why you are the way you are, your relationship to your friends, your ex-wife, all this. It's like a character study of this guy, but at the end of the day. It doesn't like solve the mystery. It's just there's just little pieces. And you think about Woodrow's character. You think about his relationship to his mom. You think about Black Mountain. Think about his burns. His now widowed, pregnant wife. All this stuff. It's just like, like you said. It's it, you're trying to fill in the blank slate. And now he's gone. Who cares anymore? You got a character study in, a, in seven out of eight episodes of this guy that ultimately none of those details are relevant anymore because he's gone and we never got it explained. They're just teased at. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very frustrating. At least in the case of the uh, assessment of Richard Nixon, we know it's based on a real guy, so the character study is interesting in knowing what happened to this real guy. We had that scene, what about the money, Dick? That scene. Right. Uh, and that was great, but, but here, it's like, okay, why? Yeah, why? definitely. Well, all these, all these pieces of the puzzle they threw in there did nothing to inform his character as as a human being whereas we do have some outside information about characters like Velcoro or Bezerides and I feel like those do inform their characters and I see that in their characters and I never got that payoff with Woodrow yeah so speaking of hey, wait, oh yeah go ahead go ahead wait, one last thing here's the other thing that drives me nuts so when we have that sort of uh, that head fake of uh, Velcoro getting killed in episode 2 that has an impact it's like whoa you know TV can do anything and this is crazy it's HBO and Call for Hell's baby dead but here, after seven episodes, and, and Woodrow dies, we this how little we care about the character. No one cares. I think the internet doesn't care. We don't really care. It's like it, it was so that death was so, you know, it, it should have been earned. This is the guy we spent seven episodes with, and we should have felt something when he died. And he, and he died. I was like, ah, that's a bummer. Yep, hundred percent. I mean, yep. this is this season, and we talk about it every single episode is likened to season two of the wire now spoiler alert guys if you haven't watched season two of the wire i'm sorry i'm just about to ruin what happens but like nine or ten episodes in uh frank i think his name is frank yeah sabatka who's like the main character gets aced and it's a huge payoff it's that's you've been waiting for it the whole season so when woodrow one of your four protagonists gets picked off it just doesn't matter like i mean i'm a bigger fan of his than most but it still didn't really affect me the episode ended and i was like that's what it like we knew something big was going to happen the penultimate episode you always in the second to last of these seasons you always get something big and this one just did not it didn't really much matter so let's let's take this though and use it as a, as a jumping point into Valcoro and Bezerides the uh you know the 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 Russ Cole and and, and Marty of this season if you were 
Um, which they've definitely turned out, in my opinion, to be the two best characters. And their relationship together has, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we've been following I, to, to some degree. Yeah, so absolutely. they had a very interesting episode. Yes, they did. Um, <laughs> I have some strong feelings about it. I loved everything about the two of them in this episode, except from them doing it. I felt like that was a like cheap that. move. <laughs> I feel like it was completely unnecessary. Um, it felt extremely forced to me, and it had no business being there. Um, I just felt it was very, very cheap to throw that in there. It never had to exist because their characters have been so um, so fascinating to watch and their relationship to build. I never saw it building in a sexual way, um, which I thought was a cool choice from Nick Pizzolatto to do. Like, why go for the obvious? Like, just make these characters depend on each other in different ways, emotionally. It just, it seemed very cheap and annoying to me. Everything else I loved yeah. about them, uh, this pro- probably this entire season, except that one stupid choice. Not the character's choice, Pizzolatto's choice to put it in there. See, I didn't feel as let down by it, actually. I, even though some of the scenes were so weird in this episode, but like, the first one where she's on drugs still and she tries to come on to him, he says, "This is not. This is not going to help." She says, "Maybe it will. It usually does." I like that. That was that's a good line. I like that. And then later, when they're actually sitting silently as fugitives, sitting at this table, the, one of the stranger interactions is she says to him, "You're not a bad man," and he says, "Yes, I am." And then he says, "Do you miss it?" She goes, "What?" And he goes, "Anything." It was like, what the hell is that? Like, what are you talking about? Like, that that was just one of the most... (laughs) It was one of the most bizarre moments in the whole episode. You're sitting intently watching. What's going to happen? Like, what's the... Do you miss it? What? Anything. Silence for 30 seconds. Cut. What? Braz? Thoughts? Oh, well, yeah. I want to go back. I actually hated... I actually hated that exchange. The the earlier exchange. Uh, I thought it was really clunky. Uh... the post, uh, was he's coming down off the molly. But that was really clunky, that whole, like, um, you know, kind of get there, or when he get back to the, when he's like, the cornfield. And he's like, what did you say? What did you say about the field? Never mind, forget it. I'm coming down. Which he tries to come on to him, and it's like, this is what I always do. I thought it was all, that all happened in a minute, 30, within three minutes of explaining who this character is and what motivates her. And I think that that's, it, it just felt really forced to me. I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. It's not like the rest of this episode where you get... We get what? I'm sorry. We get a ton of exposition. We get a ton of exposition to explain sort of like what what we've been building towards all season in, 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 two, in two, quick, two quick lines. I just felt like it was a little, little cheap. Well, you want to talk about cheap? That. You want to talk about cheap? Let's get into the part of this where... <laughs> Before Taylor Kitsch gets aced, it's it's Taylor Kitsch, Paul Woodrow, uh, Bezzarides, and Velcoro sitting around talking about like plans for who did what and who knows who and who is and who is who, and they throw out probably seven or eight of the like tertiary character names in this three minute exchange that's supposed to explain the vast majority of the backstory of where this all came from and the diamonds, the place was tossed for the diamonds, like. The the orphans, crooked cops, and Holloway, the guy that we see in the tunnels under the city, is involved because he right. I mean, th- there was just so much. Um, 
that was probably a lot. To, that was that it's scene. A lot, a lot going on. That was the on. scene to me in the episode that was the most like. There's no chance anybody watching this show right now is so up to date that they watched that three minutes and gathered all of it. Like you had to watch it a second or a third time. I watched that scene three times. And it's still, I'm trying to piece it all together in my head to do like a little recap, and I can't even really keep it all straight. No. No. Well, yes. but, don't, but don't, I mean, don't forget, in season one, we had a lot of this stuff too, a lot of very complicated plot and then subtext with the Yellow King and this and that and the other, but we didn't care because it was so, it was so visually wonderful and, and, and the plot and, and the characters were, were, so, were invested in the characters as well. This, it kind of turns on. What it, it does it has turned on the characters, but the whole series turns on like what's going to happen. And yeah, by the time you got to like diamonds and this and that, I'm like, oh yeah, the diamond. Oh yeah, there's this thing. Oh yeah, that. I'm like, where are we? Right, because yeah, they're, they're sitting talking. This is after we've seen um, the assistant DA, or what's her name? Uh, Davis. Davis. So Davis has been killed, and Velcoro has been framed, and they allude to this. And so they're sitting talking, and, and I'm going to see if I can piece this together here to be too clear on what happened. So there is an exchange where Bezerides is looking at this picture, one of the pictures that was sent to Vera, we'll talk about Vera in a minute, by Tasha, it turns out, mm-hmm. uh, an old associate of Casper's who was tortured and killed in a shack, which we find out. Uh, and one of these pictures has a woman that Bezerides think is named Laura, and she says, who is this? I feel like I recognize her. And instantly, Velcora goes, no, her name's Erica. She was at the city manager's house. She was Casper's assistant. Secretary. Secretary. You met her on the movie set. Yep. And she says, oh, yeah. And he goes, uh, Woodrow mentioned someone named Laura that was orphaned in the 92 robbery for the diamonds. And he's like, oh, wow, Laura. It all makes sense. <laughs> Laura, Erica, they're the same person. Yeah, we could have Woodrow do a rundown. And you're just sort of watching and you're like, you guys just pieced all that together. You just really? Laura? That was the trigger? There's two people named Laura, so... In it, all of Los Angeles. Like, what I love, the, I, love, I love that. It all makes sense. Like, does it? Does it make sense? Yeah, so that was pretty much one of the weirder... That was, like, one it of the more me off. jarring <laughs> scenes where you're just watching and you're saying, like, somebody in editing put all this together and decided, yep, we're going to give it to you all right now. And this is right after the scene with Blake and Frank. So that was definitely too much jammed into like a two and a half minute exchange. Absolutely, my head is swimming from it. Still. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard two to even viewings and copious notes. Yeah. So there was, if you didn't follow, there was a robbery in 1992 during the riots mm-hmm. that two kids were orphaned. Those kids were orphaned because two crooked cops executed two jewelry store owners to Which sell. Which was Teague and Burris. Yes. And uh, Holloway was their commanding officer. To, to steal diamonds that were worth several million dollars. Mm-hmm. They were going to sell those diamonds, migrate to Vinci. Well, that was their ticket in. Yes, to yes. buy in so that later on they would have stake. And yes. that's why at the beginning Casper's house was tossed, I think, because they were looking for the diamonds. That's Which what were we, in his safety deposit box. And Casper was involved in that district and helped move the stones. So that's what we think. Mm-hmm. That's what we're lead to, led to believe in that scene. So that's too much. Well, that um, happened. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like that scene. Um, uh, Braz, anything else you want to jump onto before we just talk about some of the other uh, disconnected pieces? No, no, that's it. I mean, I, I, said, it, I said, if you say so, I mean, that, that, that's a lot. I mean, I, I still don't follow it for the fourth time. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, that's, I kind of feel, I kind of feel the same way. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if anyone listening to this or watching this it says that Ben Bateman guy got a few details wrong. Let me clear it up for you. And if you do, hats off to you, man. I hope you do because I did my best to follow it, and I hope I didn't get anything totally wrong. I, I think it was close, but I'm pretty impressed. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> um, let's uh, let's get into some others. So a few other details. We talked about the robbery with the orphans. Mm-hmm. These these people, Laura or Erica or whatever his name is, that one of them in theory is going to play a role in the next episode. We had we had Bezzerizzi's dad. There was kind of a moment of realization there, which I thought was a really nice scene. I did too. She puts her dad and her sister in a car, followed by her old partner, to Eugene, Oregon, to get them out of the city for a while, while she kind of isn't is, is dealing with some things. And there's a couple exchanges there where her dad is is getting emotional, apologizing for the for the molestation or rape as a child that she experienced in the woods, uh, and saying, "I wish I could give it all back to you." I believe one of his lines is, it was the shadow of our best intentions, talking about the sort of free love, we were all pilgrims back then, as he says, Mm -hmm. because she's asking for information from when she was growing up. Uh, And that was nice, because for for his character, I think there was a lot of us that assumed something pretty sadistic had maybe gone on with him. I was very vocal about it. Um, I liked that scene a lot, actually. First of all, it sort of let me breathe a a little bit of fresh air that she wasn't being molested by her father and tons of people on this commune as my sick head was going. So I felt like there was a little bit of redemption on both their parts in that scene for the father as well as as Annie's character. A little bit of Athena, too. Um... But when he, what did he say to her? You are the most innocent person I know. You're the most innocent person I've ever known. I've ever known. Because I she thought says, that was a beautiful thing to say to her. It was a wonderful line because he said, she says, you didn't, you don't even want to know if I did it. You didn't even ask if I did it. And he says, it doesn't matter. You're the most innocent person I've ever known. And that's a great line. Yes. That was one, that was one of the better lines of writing in the whole episode. Braz? I love that scene. For all the reasons you said, I love, the line, I love, I love that line. I love everything about that scene. Um, I agree with you guys totally. Okay. Well, thank you. Excellent. There was a question I had. <laughs> I'm glad we got to that. Do I? Do either guys know this, or if anybody's listening or watching, you want to let me know? She's talked to her old partner, who she'd had an affair once in a hotel with, and he's he had done her this favor, and she's apologizing. Uh, she says, "I think she's not very fair to people sometimes." As he's walking away, he says to her, three in one day." But that's a record. What's he talking about? Did you know, Braz? I did not. I did not know. Okay, so I was, I was in the dark there as well. So then he drives off. Um, we are running short on time, so I want to make sure we cover Vera and Tasha. We alluded to it just a little bit. There's another great exchange where Pezzerides looks at Tasha, and I think she says, maybe this is just a thought, but maybe you were put on this earth to do something other than fucking. And Vera says... Everything is fucking. Everything is fucking. That's like one of the lines. Um, and then she's like, you saved me, but you didn't save me. I didn't want to be out. I liked my life. I never went missing. I thought it was kind of an interesting flip of the script. But what was the point of that whole storyline? Was it just to get her in there? The character of Bezerides in general? Just to associate her? Like, what was the point? Yeah, I guess Bezerides is, like, looking for... I mean, clearly Bezerides is looking to save... She wants to feel like she's, you know, this, like, justice person, right? She's trying to save her. Because when she's in the party, it's like, she sees this girl, Vera... And she just immediately assumes this girl's missing and she needs to break character and like break cover to just get her out of there. Mm-hmm. Like that's a decision she makes while high, which at the time watching last episode, I had a, a hard time with that decision because it's like, you're in a very dangerous position. What are you doing? Just like breaking character in the middle of this party. Like maybe you should stay for a while longer and like get some more information and then try to get her mm-hmm. out. Um, so she clearly has that even on drugs. Like I am here to save people. I'm going to save you. I'm value. 
Or was that an excuse for her to cut and run because it was too much for her with her flashbacks that she was having, her Maybe. being on drugs? Like, here's my out. This is my excuse to get out. Yeah. Maybe. Vera, well, did, you, did you just see they cut and run, Julia? I'm actually afraid. Yeah, it's nice. Because I'm gangster. <laughs> She, so, so, so when Vera's talking to, to um, Bezzarides, she Vera reveals that Tasha was a girl mentioned by Casper. It was one of Casper's favorite girls. We've been hearing about Tasha every once in a while, like two times towards the beginning. Yeah, and Tasha had tried to send some of these pictures because she had a camera on her to Vera to like a post a PO box or something. Mm-hmm. So why Vera had the pictures, um, and so. And so Tasha was found out and tortured and killed in this cabin that we found right behind the house. That's what, that's what like the shackles and the chair were. So we're assuming mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Um, why would yeah. they like torture and kill Tasha in that way? It that's- seems a lot for these guys, for these bureaucrats, you know, these guys yeah. who are, you know, like they're, they're like general attorney generals and police chiefs and this and that, unless there's something culty going on yeah. and something a little bit deeper that seemed very drawn out for just what could well, have been well, a very fast. There, there always seems to be something, there always seems to be something culty going on. A lot of, there's a lot of stuff. So I, you know, but again, for that to all come out in episode eight would seem a bit much. But we're a giant cult, you know. But as well, but um, I'm not going to be surprised if that's where we're going. I mean, it might. It really might be that season, like season one, taught us to expect this sort of level of cultiness because of Pizzolatto's writing. But that actually. Episode eight is going to end. This is going to turn out to be much more of a traditional cop story, and just the weird cultiness stuff is just kind of like a an unexplained sub theme that just happens to be there a little bit, as opposed to like the the wrap up of the first season, which was like far far more nefarious than that. Instead of cultiness, it just sort of comes off as sexual fetish. Yeah, I mean that's so which that's is fine. Fine, but whatever that's about. So guys, <laughs> I do want to make sure we get into predictions here before we wrap this up. Um, it's a, a tremendous amount of information to try oh, yeah, to yeah, yeah, put yeah. together to predict much of anything. You did a great job. Thank I'm you. Impressed. Well, let's get into predictions. Yeah, yeah. what we After predictions. Buzz TV predictions. Oh, it's changed. Oh, it's a new was, one. I was waiting for the big the light lights show. and the woo. <laughs> we didn't get it at all. So, um, predictions. Who would <sighs> like to start? To what's going to happen in the last episode of the season? Um, I'll go. Uh, I'll, I'll, go. Uh, what? All right, I'll go. Um, well, maybe this Laura Erica girl was the girl that was the person who actually killed Casper. Maybe they had something going on, which is why she killed him in such like a grotesque sort of sexual way mm. by blowing off his junk. Um, so maybe that, maybe, I mean, she has to come back for some reason, right? She worked closely with him. She's a cute girl. He had sexual weird things going on so I'm thinking she's the one maybe who killed Casper I don't know that's crazy I also don't know if Jordan's gonna make it out alive mm, that's okay that's interesting she's I hadn't off really... with nails somewhere and I don't think she's gonna make it out pack a bag which yep. really bums me out because she's one of my favorites yeah you liked her she, she, she was just like Vince Vaughn extremely serviceable for the role she was given mm-hmm. which is that's like the that's like the ultimate story of those two characters this season it was like sort of like that story Existing in a different show maybe would have been really compelling, but in this show, it was just super drawn out. Uh, Braz, what do you what do you think for for predictions? What do you have? Uh, I'm going to go with my single my prediction. I did back in episode two and three, which is we're going to get Frank and uh, and Ray and Annie working together like as one big super super team to take down. Uh, you know, we're going to see the, our, our 
three main, three remaining protagonists join forces finally. So that's going to happen. And I also believe that there is going to be something weird and culty back there. I feel like if you like what you got in episode seven, with a lot of explanations and exposition, we've got 90 minutes in episode eight to give you a lot more of that. Oh, is it 90 minutes? Like, yes. Is it double long? 90. Or it's 50%? percent extra half hour. I can't so, wait. I feel like we're going to get a lot of story. And a lot of like, remember that thing? Well, guess what? It's this thing. <laughs> so I feel, I feel like we're going to get all the answers. And, uh, and so look for, yeah, look for, the, look for a cult of some sort. And I uh, look forward to, the, to our three remaining protagonists who finally joined for Okay. All right. Excellent. I'm going to just throw in my uh, my prediction here. I, I believe we're going to get at least one more main character death out of the four that we started with, um, possibly two. I think that Frank is going to die in some sort of massive exchange where they team up to try to take down Osip or solve a crime. You might get Velcoro and Frank both dead at the end of this. Bezerides will survive. She may be the only one. That's my prediction. Thank you guys so much for checking in, for watching, for sticking with us through seven episodes of True Detective Season 2 on AfterBuzz TV, the online network devoted to bring you after shows for your favorite TV shows. For every TV show, there's a better after show. <laughs> if you guys want to follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, where can they find us? Braz, where can they find you? At, at Joe K. Braswell, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram with my name, Julia Carley, J-U-L-I-A-C-E-A-R-L-E-Y. And you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And if I ever start using my Paris OBN, I'll be there too. We'll see you guys for the finale 90 minutes next week. Same time, same place. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 